Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... Mayu, what's going on, everyone? It's been at least a month. <laughs> We're going to call it our intentional break. But uh, yeah, I ran to someone yesterday at a wedding <laughs> and the guy was like, yo, what's up with the podcast? I haven't heard an episode in a while. And I'm like, yo, like we're on a break. And he's like, oh, was it intentional? Because it just kind of like randomly stopped. I'm like, <laughs> I think like, it wasn't intentional. We took a week off and then we made it intentional. But here we are today. Austin, what's good, man? <laughs> yeah, things are going good on mine. Actually, just to address sort of what you mentioned, part of what we've been focusing on is, is that we wanted to bring on guests that could speak more relevant into what's going on in the current market environment, how that's impacting their portfolio, what they're doing to pivot. It's always good to get guests on to, you know, give their stories about how they grew their portfolio. But I feel like in today's climate, it's even better and more relevant to get guests who are actually still taking action, or maybe they're not taking action, but finding the reasons why, right? So that's mm, our yeah. next, we have like five episodes that we recorded over the past, what is it, two weeks? And yeah, they were, they were all like good episodes. Like we walked out of it feeling like, fuck, okay, that was a good chat. Uh, yeah. Or I think, I think so. I just can't remember off the head, but. And it's different uh, strategies, right? Like we have like a newer investors. We have someone in who does tiny homes talking about how things are changing on their end. We have multifamily. It's just from different angles, how it's, imp- and it's impacting everyone, right? Even the most experienced investors with the rate hikes, economy, uncertainty, so on, so yeah, forth. Me, I'm feeling it as well. Let's just say everyone's broke right now is, is kind of the vibe that I'm getting. People that have capital have now used it. Like there's always so much capital that like, like my own capital like is deployed. Like I have basically reserves now left, right? So I'm like, and then like, we, we can get into stuff later, the shit that we're talking about buying. But like, I, I told myself like after that July purchase of seven bucks or the five bucks, whatever you want to call it, um, after that, I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to buy anymore, partially because like I'm, I'm digging and digging to get more money out. And it's like, you don't want to be like taking money from here and there and like every single spot possible to kind of like go into acquisitions. Right. But the result is like, yeah, like people that have capital is super valuable today. And I'm still seeing people try to get like stupid, like low rates, giving out like 20% equity on like an apartment building burn. I'm like, yo, like this shit doesn't make sense anymore. People have to like adapt, you know? Let's talk about a couple of things actually. Let's round some things out because people haven't heard from us for a while. The last yeah. updates you've been giving were about your cottage. Why don't you share some updates about that? Because I've seen on your Instagram, you were still back and forth. There were some issues. Yo, my cleaner's making more money than me. There's some bullshit. Okay. Like my cleaner's, <laughs> my cleaner's charging $250 a clean. Okay. It's a five bedroom fucking cottage. But um, it was the only person I could, I could find in July. So I hired her and like I found a backup now. Shout out to Pre from Blue Ventures. He gave me another person, but I just didn't want to like transition like mid season. We had like a bunch of guests. So like August, first full month, I should probably pull it up, but it was the first full month and we were booked out every weekend and on the weekdays as well, I believe um, we were basically around like 80% occupancy, which sounds great, right? We went live mid July. And so basically I had to price cut the market. So I'm priced at, let me see what this is. $400 $400 on the weekends, which it's a five bedroom or four bedroom cottage and people can sleep. So $400 on the weekends. And I think it was about like 250 to 300 on weekdays. That's incredibly like, cheap for eight people. Extremely oh, cheap. Yeah. Extremely cheap. But also I had like no reviews on my account. 
I was like a brand new account with like a shit ton of availability. So it just looked super sketch. I was initially priced at like five, $600. And I was like, yo, barely getting anyone here. Like this shit's just not working. Right. So let's call it quits. And then I just, the price cut. So it was just finding the right price point. So August, the numbers are basically we made about like $10,000. It's just shy, but around like 9,000 something, which is pretty good for like a given month, but it's not good enough given that it is August. Right. Um, and it needs to be able to carry us through the shoulder season of like November and like February. Right. A lot of lessons learned a lot of like, we had a plumbing leak. We had like, for some reason, our two chairs are like, like getting shaky and like Rocky. We had a little bit of mold fucking come in that I had to go and like spray that shit down with like mold killer or whatever, but it hasn't come back. That was because of the plumbing leak, right? That you have. Uh, No, I don't think so. I think I, I I think I know what it is. So basically we don't have like downsprouts in Eastro. So the water is just falling off the roof and it's a big roof. It's just falling straight down and it's hitting this one wall that even before I knew there was a little bit of water, but we kind of like, we worked around it. So I think it should be fixed. Um, And even when I walked in, like the basement seemed like very humid. So I just put a dehumidifier in there and like now it's been perfectly fine. But we do have to like fix it with like the water management, which is going to be another couple thousand dollars. So we're sticking more and more and more money into it. We did burn and we pulled out most of our capital. We still have like a, a little bit like left in there. I think it was like 60 grand or so between me and my partner, which wasn't terrible. We were like kind of okay with it, especially given like furniture came up to like 25 grand alone. But now we're just kind of like, you know, obviously we're getting into the shoulder season. So the interesting thing is I did speak with someone and this is a value of speaking to other investors. Okay? So I spoke with someone that has a duplex in the Muskoka area. And they're renting it out on a per room basis and they're getting about thousand bucks, a thousand two hundred dollars. And it's a duplex. So they had two bedrooms plus three bedrooms. So five bedrooms total. They're generating just over, I think like six thousand dollars a month. Obviously, they have to pay for utilities. It is what it is. But they have no real like cleaning fees. They do send in a clean every now, every like two weeks or so, right? But that's a cash cow. And they bought that thing for like four hundred grand. And I'm like, yo, like I'm generating like nine grand here in August. I could just generate because I have five bedrooms as well. I could generate like five, six grand a month and just keep it like year round. Cause there's such a shortage of like rental housing in these like cottage country areas. I don't know. It's something that we're thinking about, right? The only problem is some fucking- Yeah, white kitchen. kitchen. Yeah, but I got like and five bedrooms. Uh, no, it doesn't have- to Oh be. yes, there'll be five people renting out. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, it's a backup option that like we're thinking about. I'm talking to my, my partner about it. My partner wants to keep going through the Airbnb side. So I'm like, fine, we'll, we'll keep going through it for now. But yeah, the cleaning fees are outrageous. The, uh, a lot of the stuff we spend money on though, to be fair, was like probably a one-time cost. Like we're not going to keep having the plumbing leak. We're not going to have our laundry machine broke because I bought secondhand laundry machine. Um, so that broke. Our fridge broke when we were fixing the fridge or whatever, then the stove broke. I literally bought like all new appliances. Like it's stupid, stupid waste of money this month, but it should just be one-time expenses. But yeah, that's my rant on Airbnb. What did the numbers pan out to on the expense end? So if you're bringing in 10,000, I don't know if you got your utility bill um, yet or no. Well, it's, it's a well water system. Okay. Um, I, um, so, so there's no real water expense. Just electrical um, and gas then. Yeah. Electrical. We haven't, well, even in the summer, our AC is running electrical. Um, so there's no real like gas bill really. It's also propane tank. So like, I don't know, we get our propane. Fill it out whenever. Build oh, up. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough to say for sure, but like our fixed costs are about like three grand. Right. Which is mortgage, property tax. And then if we allocate a little bit for like reoccurring, like cap spend, right. Or not reoccurring, but like a budget for that, then you end up at like three grand a month. Right. Which, and keep in mind the nine point something includes like the cleaning fees in there. Right. So I had about like, at least I think like 1500 in cleaning fees for the month of August. So really I'm down to like eight grand. Right. Which yeah. is just shy of like three months holding costs, which mm-hmm. isn't bad if I can cover my costs in the rest of the year, but it's not like, it's not cash 
this is what I've been forgetting. It sounds decent in theory, but it's not like this is an active business. It takes up my time to fucking go up to Minden when like a lot of machines be delivered. There's no like risk reward relationship if you're operating at a break even or even like a couple of thousand of the profit. There's no risk reward, I think, at that. So it's really got to get to at least like 30, 40K in profit, which I don't for sure know if it'll get there. Yeah. And how about like HST? How does that work? Do you tag it on top or do you have to hold back and pay the government the HST? you're going to generate over, what was it, 25 or 30,000 in revenue, then you'd have to get an HST number? Yeah, yeah. So this is a little bit of a problem here because I, like, so Airbnb is holding back like a guest service fee and they're holding back the occupancy taxes. And then they're remitting to us a net amount, which includes a cleaning fee. My cleaner is charging me HST, but I realized that we're not getting paid out any kind of HST. So I don't think there's an HST impact on here. I could be wrong. If someone knows the answer to this, like shoot me a message because we're, this is a blind leading the blind here. We're trying to figure this shit out. <laughs> there is HST involved in Airbnb after yeah, the revenue. I'm, I'm certain of that. Oh. I, and it's about 30,000 and you're going to surpass that for sure. I just Maybe that's know. what it is. Maybe it's because we haven't hit the, the 30K limit. They're not. Yeah. When I've done Airbnb in Sudbury, I've never hit 30,000. Like I did it for a little bit and it was really lucrative. I just didn't care to manage. Right. And I didn't care to scale. And if I'm just managing two Airbnbs, it's just not worth my time at that point. Right. Like I'm getting an extra thousand dollars a month, but forget about it because I'm not going to scale it up. So not a big deal. So I never had to fortunately go through that avenue. But I did know when speaking to the accountant there, there, you definitely have to pay HST on it. I just don't know how it works, whether it's Airbnb or if it's you have to withhold it and then pay out of your pocket, which means 13% margins will will work about right. So maybe it's, it's definitely <laughs> worth the conversation, but yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> we're learning as we're going, right? Like even yeah. we try new things out and that honestly, that's the reality of it. We try new things. We try, yeah. nothing is going to be perfect. Of course you want to know as much as you can, but sometimes you just sort of go, go through the motions and you have yeah. multiple exit strategy, which sounds like you do, right? Worst case, you can rent it out by the bedroom. Yeah. And that's the one thing I told my partner, even when he got into this transaction, I was like, look, like, Cause I essentially contributed half of um, the renovation spend, which we don't normally do in like a traditional JV model. But I'm like, yo, I'm happy to contribute that like half, but just with like the clear understanding here that this is my first Airbnb. And like, I've never really like got into this business model and it could go well, it could be really good. It could be really shit as well. Right. And so like, as long as I think everyone's on the same page about like the risk that you're taking. And from my partner's perspective, he's like, yo, let's just keep going until we lose enough money that we get to like a break even. I'm like, okay, but cause I gave him the option of like selling. I'm like, oh, do you want to just sell? Cause like this doesn't seem as lucrative as I thought. And he just wants to keep going at it. So I'm like, okay, let's keep going. So are you the active partner technically or how is that? We're technically both active. Gotcha. Okay. No, fair enough. Yeah. yeah I mean, trying new strategies. So we talked about it in our previous, uh, we had like a raising money, uh, event uh, like two years ago, I want to say. And that was one thing that we talked about. People always talk about, oh, you got to bring all the money. You got to bring the financing and I'm going to do all the work. This is your first time going yeah. to Airbnb. So it's just like, okay, let's split it. Let's see how it goes. And you're generous to split it. Yeah. Most people wouldn't, right? Like you might put in 30%, they might put in 70%, but you had your skin in the game as well. Cause it's your first time going through it yeah. on another note. So outside of the Airbnb in our previous preambles, we were talking about our student rental in Windsor that it was getting expropriated. And then we're going through our, through the legal process. So I believe we first got contact with these individuals last year, last year, right? last year in in April or May, May, I believe it was May. No, no, no. It was, it was definitely February back because they did a bullshit appraisal in February and they arrived at a value of 450. And because they did the appraisal in February, for anyone that knows it, if this happens to you guys in the future, if you're getting expropriated, you can do 
an appraisal that's backdated using the comps at that time in that market. So February, 2022 guys, peak market, we're able to do an appraisal in June or July or August or something like that with our own appraiser and tell them to use the comps as of February. And then we got I can't remember, maybe it was a valuation of like 700 or 600. No, it was like, like 670. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, just to let you know, guys, we're not experts at this, but this was our <laughs> first time at the rodeo. So we'll give you insights that <laughs> that we learned throughout. So yeah, that, that was one of the things. It was actually March where they put the appraisal together. They never even walked mm-hmm. through the property. They just emailed yeah. me <laughs> and then they said, hey, I got your numbers from the property manager or the tenants or whoever. They somehow gave them my contact. And they said, here's an appraisal report of your property this is what we're going to buy you out at. And I'm like, what the hell is this? What's going on? And as you said, 450K, ridiculous. <laughs> it didn't make any yeah. sense given it was March. They sent that email in like around May, 2022, but the appraisal was dated again in March, like pretty much mm-hmm. near the peak, or you can argue a month after the peak. So we went back on our own appraisal dated March because that's when they had their appraisal put together. And we had the appraiser actually walk through the property, put everything together. And then we countered saying that, hey, look, it's actually 670K. Then there was a negotiation process back and forth because the market was declining. And the big thing is, is that they didn't want to get lawyers involved. And at first I was like, oh, like, yeah, maybe, maybe it's just not worthwhile. If they can come up to the price, then sure. But they sticked around 500,000. So we hired a lawyer. And technically speaking, the lawyer is supposed to be paid by the party that is expropriating you. They're supposed to pay fair market value any penalties are heartache. So if it's your primary residence, then there's a lot of extra fees that accumulate, right? Any penalties that you're going to incur, any costs that you're going to incur legals. So we hired our lawyer with the understanding that they're going to get paid by the other party, right? So long back and forth process over months and months and months. And they went MIA so many times. And honestly, Maya and I started getting a nerve. Nervous a little bit. <laughs> we need this buyout to happen, yo. Because at that point, we're not going to be able to sell it on the market for the same price. And we've kind of just got excited about a decent sale price. Yeah, it was like, a market fucking phenomenal sale price. <laughs> <laughs> like we're just like, okay, like no realtor fees. This is basically a private offer, right? So what yeah. they're offering, like if we can get them to a like anywhere close to peak pricing, for sure we're going to exit because we <laughs> we didn't believe that that especially the student market in Windsor. Student yeah. rental. If you guys look on the listing, there's a ton of them. It would take forever to reach back to peak pricing. So we're just like, all right, let's exit. <laughs> Plus, we had so much maintenance start coming up. We started having yeah, yeah. control. The students started damaging the property. So we're like, fuck, we need to exit it. And then they had the rental licensing program. Um, mm-hmm. So we were just like, this is a perfect time to unload. So after a lot of back and forth, a lot of disagreements, we finally came to an agreement on price. But then something else happened. They wanted us to hold title. Us. Oh, yeah. 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 No. So we got the offer and then the lawyer reviewed it. And there's one condition that we've never seen before, even as a wholesaler as well. I've never seen this condition before. They wanted us to hold title of the property while they demolish it. And once it's fully demolished, then we'll transfer title over to the company. And we're just like, no, they were giving us and they were giving us all the money. Like that was a crazy part. That was yeah. just like, yo, like what? Like, what if we just don't fucking like. Give you back title later or something like that, right? It seemed crazy risky. Like, I don't think we would ever do it as individuals. It kind of sounds like the subject to stuff that they do in the US, eh? That, maybe that's where they got it from, where it's like you like legally own it on title, but like we have this back end agreement that says that like we own it. And so the entire objective, this was really cool. Once we figured out the reason, I thought it was really cool. The objective is that it's a US company that was somehow expropriating us. Don't ask, don't ask how or whatever, right? But it is what it is. 
And so they then are subject to the NRST, the non-resident speculation tax or whatever that thing's called, which means that their purchase price would have been 20% higher if they had bought it from us on title, right? But apparently, according to them, the NRST is not applicable on vacant land. So if they demo the house, then they don't have to pay the 20% on the purchase price when the title eventually gets transferred. So that's why they wanted us to hold title. And that for them was non-negotiable. Yeah. So that, and, and to add on to that, and the story just keeps on unraveling. So that's what <laughs> we're like, okay, cool. That's fine. Well, it's not really fine, but we're not happy with it. We don't want any sort of liability. Yeah. And the story keeps on unraveling. So that's what we obviously thought. That's what they communicated over to us and weren't happy with it, but it was what it was. We didn't want to be liable for anything. So we added a ton of clauses in there saying that if there's a lick of liability, we're not responsible for anything. Right. Obviously, it wasn't phrased like that. Our lawyers did a great job at putting things together. So we just made sure that we weren't going to be liable whatsoever. But then our lawyer eventually called us and said, hey, actually, another reason why they want to sell. One of the bigger reasons is, is that this company has tensions with the city of Windsor for a very long time because they purchased a bunch of properties on Indian Road. And they have left them vacant for a very long time. And locals in Windsor's was not happy. They wanted to build a bridge on there. But when the Windsor, the city of Windsor was giving them a lot of trouble. And so they wanted us to hold title because as we filed a document saying that there's going to be a demolition, so on, so forth, they're probably going to go through with it because we're just like regular owners, citizens of Ontario. However, if they see the company that bought it, uh, we didn't sign an NDA, so that's fine, but I'm not going to say their name as well. Uh, but if they see the name of the company that bought it filing for that demolition permit, so on and so forth, they are going to drag them along the mud because they do not want to do anything to cooperate with them. So that was another aspect of it. But anyways, we took the uh, transaction to the finish line. We got the hold back to only 10K. We had the rest of the funds released. Unfortunately, some things that we weren't able to negotiate was we wanted them to pay for our legal fees, but they declined to do so. And honestly, we were getting a fantastic price and they are so unresponsive as we drag on negotiations. So we decided just to wrap it up and said, OK, we'll eat this cost, but we're still getting a fantastic deal at the end of the day. So that's the conclusion of that chapter. That's been keeping us a little bit busy as well. Well, what's going on with your uh, your other projects? Yeah, you, you had quite a few acquisitions, I feel like, that you did this year. No, 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 I didn't. I didn't have a whole time. This year has been really slow on. I haven't bought and held anything this year. Everything was lost. Oh, it's a flip. The flip that you had. Projects. Yeah, so uh, it's the flip. So I've listed the property in downtown Toronto. The market's yeah. extraordinarily slow. So we are all in at, we've listed it at 1249 because people can see this on anyway, so not a big deal. Yeah. We did a price cut at 1.19. And in my opinion, that is, if you go on House Sigma, that's probably the best value that you can get around the neighborhood, right? Everything else mm. needs renovations. It's just a matter of finding the right buyer. It's on a main street. It doesn't have parking. Our feedback so far has been fantastic. We've been getting, we, it's been listed for two weeks. We've had probably 10 or 11 walkthroughs, which in this market is pretty decent, according to my realtor, because some things get zero walkthroughs. He has listings with, with no walkthroughs at all. Yeah. So pretty happy with that. It's just about finding the right buyer, not being overly aggressive on pricing, because I've, I've told them as well, it's like, hey, we have a list at this, but and I'm open to share this with the public. I can negotiate a little bit as well, right? Like I'm of the understanding that the market's of a different position. I don't need to hit a home run on this deal. Obviously, I'm going to cut a profit from it or I would like to cut a profit from it. The big thing is what can take 
investors out of the game now is leverage, right? When you have capital, when you have a high net worth, really the thing that's going to wipe you clean is leverage. And so with what's going on with sentiments, we don't know what's going to happen with Bank of Canada. As of we're recording this, it's the end of August. So we don't know what's going to happen with the Bank of Canada in September or what they're going to say. More importantly, I just want to sort of delever a little bit, unload, make a little bit of money, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not greedy, right? Originally we wanted multi six figure profit or close to it, but now yeah. I'm happy to take less than a six figure profit, you know? Um, yeah. So you also have the North Bay one, right? Like, or was it North Bay or Sudbury? North Bay. Oh no, Sudbury, Sudbury. So that one is yeah. going to be finished renovations within the next two days. So we finish. oh my God, the labor in Sudbury is so expensive. You we did have a story on that too. Well, oh my yeah, God. Go on. <laughs> we did paint, we did flooring, we did some drywalling, we did some pot lights here and there. We stained, we did the roof, like by roof, I mean shingles. We parched the garage as well. For those who don't, don't know what parging is, it's basically like taking cement and not pouring it over, but like uh, applying it over like the structure or the exterior. Right. So sometimes you see some structures oh. with like some cracks here and there, but it might just be cosmetic cracks and then you just parge over it. Right. So, yeah, we're doing parging around the exterior to make it look a little bit nicer. All that being said and done and we had to do junk removal our renos are probably like seven and we did the kitchen probably about 75 K, which is insane. Out. Yeah. It's a single family house for a single family house upstairs and downstairs. Right. So it's about it's about 1600 square feet. But yeah, it was it was incredibly expensive. And but this was the cheapest quote that I've gotten. That's and I will say the but, contractors were fantastic as well. They got it done within four weeks, which is exactly what I was looking for. But yeah, I mean, the cost of labor and material, not really materials as much as the labor cost is just it is absolutely ridiculous in Sudbury. But we're almost at the finish line We're we're project. We're hoping to get 380K. That was our sort of semi-conservative number a really conservative number was about 350 360 but honestly likewise i'm willing to unload it less than that like look like the entire thing is like take your ego aside just to be mm. quite frank and whatever yeah. the market dictates is just like I, I would rather just sell it and even if the profit is 20 30k i'm happy with that yes i would like more but i'm not being greedy and if it means break even honestly if it means break even i'll just i would rather sell it and deleverage that and just take yeah. that as a learning lesson. Not that it's going to be break even, but yeah, I think that's an important point to make. So we'll see how it goes. It's going to be listed next week. Yeah. That's a, a big week for you, man. You got two listings. You got to get, get out of this shit uh, or you get fucked. But uh, yeah, so, so here, so this is my Sudbury story. So we bought a uh, duplex with an addition. So I guess technically it was a triplex last October, right? We hired a contractor, one contractor for the addition piece, one contractor for the duplex piece, right? My responsibility was a duplex piece. So my guy got it done by like, he was late, like by like a month, took until like March or something like that. But he got it done. So I was like, cool, whatever. Cost me 60 grand for like two units. Uh, I thought it was a little bit pricey, but it was, it's fine. It is what it is, right? So we refinanced it in April and just without the addition, the addition still wasn't done, right? And, but the addition was a big scope of project. But I'm like, guys, like it's been like six months. Like this doesn't make any sense. It's all done. Uh, so we refinanced it. We pulled out our capital. I've been pretty hands off on the addition because that's basically my partner's responsibility with his contractor and his contractor's doing another project for him and stuff like that. So I was like, whatever about it. I went up there to do some, do some stuff for the seven plex that we bought in July. I go and I check out the addition. I kid you not, nothing is done. Like nothing. Yo, I was like, I paid a 30 grand deposit here. Oh, so I, I called him or I messaged my partner. I, I called him or something. He was traveling. I'm like, yo, like, I don't know what's going on here. But I think we're getting rinsed or like someone's got like look into this thing and like, you know, talk to your people and see what's, what's going on here. 
because they, they haven't done like anything. They like, they, they made it seem like they were doing some work. Like they would like ask us to go like layouts or whatever. And like talk to us about like the roofing and like, it's, it's been so long. It's ridiculous. Right? So he contacts them. Turns out they are behind on their HST. And so they use their money to pay for the HST. <laughs> and so now they don't have money. I mean, they're honest. <laughs> they're honest. Yeah, they're, they're apparently like very apologetic and shit like that. But I was like, I was, I was, I was pretty pissed. I like legit like took like a week to like just call down like response to like to my partner about it. I was like, yo, like, I, I'm like, I think we should take to the small claims court right now out of principle. Cause he's like, we have two options. Either we take to the small claims court and like force like a garnishment or something like that. Cause they're like, yo, we're still trying to do it. We're trying to do like odd jobs so that we get like material money so that we can buy the material for your project so we can do it or whatever. So he's like, either we can wait and hope that they actually do it or we just got to take the small claims court right now. And then I, I, I left it to him. I was like, honestly, man, we'll, we'll see. I don't want to, I don't want to comment yet just cause, uh, you know, it's an active issue, but, uh, uh we'll, we'll kind of see where this plays out. It is very interesting. That's Sudbury for you, eh? Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's Northern Ontario. I got both yeah, but- doing the same thing, dude. Like I, I ended up hiring someone from Niagara to go up there cause it was like 2k cheaper. Yeah. yeah. People get rinsed here as well. You know, cause like I still have these conversations with people that are like, oh yeah, but like investing in Sudbury, you're going to have like crackhead tenants and you're going to have like, no, like blah, 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 all this shit. I'm like, yo, like we're acting as if we don't have the same problems in like Toronto. I know people that got rinsed in Toronto, like painter ran off with like their five grand. And it's like the same issues happen everywhere. It's just, if you do enough of this stuff, it will happen. But careless on me for giving a 30 K deposit. I got too complacent because uh, it was a referral from someone else, but shouldn't have made that mistake. Yeah, no, that's uh that that's not fun. Hopefully you guys uh, recoup your money there. Okay. Next topic at hand is uh non-payment of rent. Uh, of course, in the areas that we invest a little bit more blue collar, I don't know about you, but I've had a few issues of non-payment of rent. I've had two in Windsor. I've had one in Sudbury. I've had one in a a, like sort of Londonish area. So it's been piling up and it's uh, definitely pretty stressful going through that process. So far, find uh, the common reason that people are not paying rent is some sort of job loss or maybe someone got way too ahead of themselves and what they could afford. They're able to make first and last month's rent, but maybe they got it from the lines of credit. Maybe they got it from the credit card. Like the vetting process maybe wasn't as strong as it could have been. And there's another situation where they're harassing the other tenant in the multifamily. So there's so many issues that that I'm running across now more so than ever. Like going when I was scaling my portfolio originally, it just, it wasn't an issue, but I'm finding a lot more of those problems at the moment. So just having a lot of uh, conversations with these tenants, right? With, with stuff like that, it's easier for you as the owner to get involved unless your property manager is super active, right? But usually when you outsource stuff to your property manager, they'll ask something, they'll get a response in the next day, then they'll let you know the day after. So it's like a two to three day lag between communication. So it's just calling up these tenants now and having that conversation with them, figuring out payment plans. And if they're not able to keep up with the payment plans, then trying to evict them. The uh, LTB at the moment is less backed up than it was before. I'm hearing a lot of people, including myself, that have served N4s, filed, uh, I believe it's the L1 after, and then we're getting hearing dates in December. So about four to five months, which is still very long, but significantly better than the year, an entire year, which is what it used to be. So going through those pain points, but again, like that's, that's the important part. When we project cash flow, a lot of people don't put bad debt expense when they're doing their pro formers. And personally, I, I haven't done it as much as I should have, but now it's, it's a real thing. And I'm definitely going to include, it, especially when investing in some of these tertiary markets, 
it's, it's a matter of when you have a, a large enough portfolio, it's a matter of when it's going to happen and you need to know how to deal with these things. So yeah, I'm having a ton of conversations with tenants. A couple of them are catching up on rent. One of them is going through the sheriff. Another one potentially may be a sheriff as well if they don't catch up by then. So yeah, I mean, that's sort of going on in the portfolio right now, but I'm more involved than I would like to be. But um, when I present myself to people, I always present myself as some cases I'm the owner. People will quickly find that out because my name matches the lease. So I just <laughs> bullshit that. Yeah. And other cases where it's like joint ventureships or other people or a company under the lease, I will just let people know that I uh, help manage the property for the owners, not a property manager, but I manage the like the financials and stuff for the owner and deal with conversations like this. So there's still that layer of separation between me as the decision maker and the tenants, right? Um, Interesting. Yeah, so that's sort of going on. And, and you know, I didn't realize you had a you had to be a non-payment rent. So I feel like the one non-payment rent I had is the one that that we're, we're both kind of dealing with. Going through together. Well, you're, yeah, the one that you're dealing with the worry, but uh, I didn't realize yeah. that's so many going on. Dude, I have a tenant that's like five k five point five k behind. <laughs> you're, you're you're pretty good at collecting it though. So I was, I was pretty impressed about it. Yeah, and this then, this uh, person that's five point five k behind is now only one k behind in a month. So I'm so skeptical on where this money's coming from. How do you just have 4k mm. to pay it's like 1k one week 1k another one 1k another week so i don't know if they're borrowing i'm almost certain they're borrowing the money or they're trying mm. to fuck me because they've signed i've gotten them to sign an n11 but i was like look if you're able to meet the rent payment before the n11 i'm not going to enforce it now that being said it's still up to my decision on how i want to go about that right but they seriously started catching up but it's just so skeptical to me it just doesn't make a ton of sense. And another guy got them to do a payment plan. He's been paying me back steadily as well, which is good. And then just that last guy is a, is a lost cause at this point. So yeah, I don't know. Like sometimes a payment plan, I, I'm curious where these people get the money from if they don't have a job. It still makes me a little bit worried. Mm, that's true. No, that's true. Cause it's, it's just like, they're just trying to get past the date and then they're just going to stop paying your rent again. And you're again, a couple months behind and it's a annoying cycle that costs a lot of money from the sheriff fees and legal like filing fees and all that kind of shit. Right. So yeah. What's going on with wholesaling, man? Why don't, why don't we go into that? People are tired of hearing my voice. I'll get, I'll, I'll do that. Fine, yeah. So fine, let's hear fine, about fine, the mortgage fine. side of things. Like how are, how are things going? Everyone's um, talking about the Scotia bank letter. <laughs> it's all over Twitter. It's all over Reddit. I Which one? The, the HELOC one? The, the HELOC one? How, how they're breaking I, down people's HELOC balances? I know we don't have it on YouTube, but I literally am showing it on the screen. It's the HELOC one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Program. yeah. Okay, so so that one they they started talking about it last year, right? Where they were just wait, like, wait. Actually, what, elaborate. Some people will probably not with Scotia. What is going on right now? It's not just Scotia. It's technically okay. all all the banks. Um, so all the banks have something similar to the Scotia step. Most I'm going to use the Scotia step as an example because a lot of investors have a lot with Scotia, right? But RBC calls it what is it? The smart home line or something like that, right? TD calls it the flex line. BMO calls it something else, and. I don't know what the IBC version is called, but basically it was a major loophole. Okay. So you're not allowed to have a home equity line of credit greater than 65% of the value of your home, right? That's just kind of like the OSFI guidelines that have always existed. So if you went into a bank, had no debt on a property and you asked them for a home equity line of credit, they would only give you one up to 65% loan to value. What they realized is that some people with way too much capital, I guess, realized is they would go in, they would get a full mortgage for 80% loan to value. Then they would immediately, or even within a year, they would pay off the mortgage. And then the result is you have a home equity line of credit worth up to 65% of the value of the home, right? So that was the gap that, oh, sorry, you would have a home equity line of credit worth up to 80% of the value of the home. 
which was the issue that kind of sparked a lot of attention towards this issue, right? So instead they realized, you know, the intention was never to let a home equity line of credit grow to that amount. It was just, you know, improve people's liquidity and so on. So instead what they're essentially winding down to now, I think it's blown out of proportion, to be honest with you. I don't think it's a drastic impact, right? But as you pay down your mortgage, um, people would then have a home equity line of credit available. They're just bringing it down. So the, by the end of a 30-year term or a 25-year term, whatever you're on, the ending home equity line of credit that you would have available to you is 65% of the value of the house, right? Which is like a small wind down every single month that's happening. We'll see. Like, I, I haven't really felt the impact of that. I don't know if you have. I don't think too many people have. No. They just don't like losing liquidity, which I understand as well. Right. But, yeah, exactly. That's the big thing, right? Like people like HELOCs for the liquidity. I have it right in front of me. This is my personal situation. I'm losing $188 a month for my step. And I don't think I will be, maybe I'm wrong and you can correct me if you know, I don't think I'm able to pull from the step if it's above 65% loan to value. Do you know if that's true? No, no, you should still be able to pull from the step. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Think, yeah. Think, but it, it is, it is yeah. decreasing over time. Sorry. I think any addition to the step, because you are paying principal, I yeah. don't think I'm able to pull the additional pay down that I'm making every single month from my understanding, or maybe not. I don't know. I'm this, this letter is not completely clear. So should get your shit together. Cause I, you got it. You got to elaborate. <laughs> Unless you want me to call you then uh, mission accomplished. Cause this is a little bit confusing. But uh, I think this was as a result of the new uh, OSFI regulations, right? With the banks yeah. like, having to have more liquidity. Dude, people, a lot, so this is the thing with the media. I think last year they blew it out of proportion where they were just like, oh, we're not gonna be able to get HELOCs anymore up to like 80% loan to value. That's not the case. It's basically like the HELOC has to be less than 65% of the value of your home. You can still get a HELOC. So the impact of it is a lot less than what people once made it seem like. So I think that's, it's kind of important to kind of dig into these things a little bit. Aside from that, mortgage market, mortgage world, what are we doing? Rates are going up. Don't really know why. Consumer sentiment's changing constantly. Scotia kind of came back into the fold, which is big news. BMO is obviously coming to the broker channel, so that's going to be great as well. But um, in terms of market and what are people doing, I am actually doing a decent amount of purchases, more than I would have expected to do. I think a lot of pre-cons that people purchased in 2021 are now closing. So we're doing a lot of pre-con closings right now. I think Why did you talk about building. the BMO, the BMO pre-con program actually as well? Yeah. Yeah. Where they go up to 80% of the appraised value. That's what I'm assuming you're referring to. Yeah. 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 So that's a good program. Um, we've had it on the B side for a while as well. Um, so we're actually doing a bunch of those right now. We'll kind of see how things play out there. The thing is like, okay, so people might've bought pre-cons in 2021 and 2020, which are now closing, but now the appraised value, like the expected like lift that you would have is not as significant. Like some cases they bought for 570 it's worth like 620 right so it's not sometimes even really that much worth it but we're kind of going through that now and a lot of restructuring you know because i'm kind of unfortunate like a lot of people just have like lines of credits that are maxed out credit cards that are maxed out and the only way to kind of pay it off is through like a restructuring like added on to your mortgage and stuff like that but the let, let me ask like, you this mayu is that common because i feel like you and i are sometimes so far removed from what is actually common mm. when i speak <laughs> with tenants, when I go interact with people, I realize that my sort of outlook on things are, is so different than the reality of what's happening in the world. Like if I was paycheck yeah. to paycheck, I would be stressed beyond belief, but that's such a normal thing. Credit card debt's a normal thing. It just, I, I never like having credit card debt unless it's like a bridge where I'm going to pay it off in like two weeks or three weeks. But what is normal from what you're seeing on your end of things? There's a lot of people with privates that roll from private to private to private to private. 
that gets fucked. Okay. Uh, where I'm just like, yo, I'm not trying to be the last person that holds a bag here. Like someone's about to get screwed at some point if you keep rolling. Right. Which was, it was fine when it was like 8% private. And now they're refinancing to like a 15% private. Right. Honestly, their incomes just can't support the mortgage that they have today. Right. And so they're paying their mortgage. They're not falling behind there, but credit card bills are getting bigger. Lines of credits are getting bigger. Lifestyle hasn't really changed for a lot of people. Right. So for the last like, couple of years, you, you were able to have a pretty good lifestyle because you had a pretty small mortgage. Mortgage aside, because a lot of people, their mortgages haven't gone up. Like the majority of banks do not have an adjustable rate mortgage, right? So the variable mortgages have stayed at exactly the payments that they were at before. But those people are still building up credit card debts and lines of credit debts. And that's the true impact of inflation or lifestyle creep, whichever way you want to look at it. That's an unfortunate reality because sometimes I'm like, yo, we should just close off these lines of credits and no one wants to close it off. And they just want to like roll it into the mortgage so that they still have the line of credit available, which likely just means we might have the same conversation in like two years, right? When you rack it up again, right? So I think lifestyle creep is the biggest issue. I think people are too used to having certain luxuries in life, but you know, no judgment. Like I, I think it's, it's tough on everyone. Like even like my parents just taught me like, yo, like the grocery bills are like way higher than, than what it is now, right? Like we eat out a lot, but yo, even my eating out bills was like a hundred dollars every single time we go to like Moxie's. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? This is Moxie's. It should be $50 uh, yeah. max. <laughs> it's it's crazy, man. It's it's ridiculous. And I everyone I think everyone's feeling it unless you have a lot liquid or your income is obviously like extraordinarily high. But what I found is like just like speaking with people, a lot of people like wages and we hear this in the media very often. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't always feel it or understand the extent of it. Right. Until I have conversations with everyday individuals who are not like we're just like working hard and trying to put food on the table their income is is not really changing, but all of a sudden gas prices are increasing, Mm. food prices are increasing. And even people with low rents, you know, like their rent is like seven, $800 a month and they're getting fixed income of 1800 a month. All of these other costs are increasing. So now they're paycheck to paycheck. So if there's ever a situation where they have to pay market rent, they have to move out and pay market rent. I don't even know how they're going to survive, right? Like that's, that's incredibly difficult. And also there's a lot of extend and pretend. I don't know if you saw that chart where they had like, I think it was RBC, TD and Scotia. Well, not Scotia, Scotia, it's not really relevant here, but I believe it was RBC and TD and maybe CIBC as well, where it was showing the percentage yeah, of loans greater than 35 year amortization. And it was like, yeah. I think it was above 20% for all three of the banks, right? Yeah, majority, yeah. majority are still below 25 years, but 20% or above 20% is a lot of your portfolio above 35 year ad, right? So yeah. there's some extending and pretending going on and what's even more concerning, honestly, so those variables, like you're just kicking the can down the road, right? And, and as much as like, I, I'm kind of envious of people who haven't had their mortgages go up, that's for sure, right? But I'm also recognizing that like the changes that we make to our lifestyle now is like a, is like a true reflection, right? So like if I rent out my basement, which I've been talking about for a fucking year now, and I'm, I'm going to do it this year for sure. <laughs> but if I, if I rent it out, like that is, you know, me adjusting to the times, but there are people that live in their own reality where like their mortgage hasn't gone up, right? Or like they're in a really low fixed rate that are going to get hit with this nasty bill in like probably the next 2025, right? I think is when we're expecting a lot of like renewals and stuff like that to kind of come in. And I don't necessarily see the rates going down like crazy by then. I know the market is pricing it in, but yeah, man, let's wait and see what happens. But yeah, it does seem like I messaged a couple of wholesalers about a couple of deals and uh, it does seem like people are, are still interested in really good assets, but I'm curious to see like, what are you seeing on the ground on the sale side? Yeah, for sure. On the wholesaling side, things are 
it's a grind. It's 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 a grind. Things are still moving, or at least on my end of things, things are still moving. But it's it's so much more of a work in progress now. Where I have walkthroughs, I get feedback, and then people say I have something in mind, but it's it's much lower. And then you sort of have to have that conversation with them, get the reasons right. I don't want someone to lowball me for the sake of lowballing. If you don't have reasons to back it up, I just don't take it seriously. But if you are just like valid and say, look, like this is what things are selling for. All of these things are wrong with the property. I need minimum this much amount of profit. And you can elaborate and explain to me clearly, even if I don't agree with it, I would respect it. And I would take that conversation back with the seller. So we've wholesaled all of the four deals that we sent out the past month or month and a half have been assigned, but it was a grind. It's been our, like, it's like, getting multiple people in, finding that one buyer who's interested in it, then renegotiating with the seller, explaining to them, having them think about it, going back and forth and then striking a deal. It's much, instead of a transaction, it's much more negotiation based now on all parties, right? So that's what we've been seeing on our end. And we, again, being able to move all of those deals was not possible at just our marketed price. One of them, yes, were wholesale at a marketed price. The other ones were, a negotiation. I don't know about other wholesalers. If it's a fantastic deal, yes, there are going to be buyers. And we've had that as well, where we've had deals where, again, people just pick it up. But for the most part, the other deals, we just work with people to solve it. And that's sort of what's happening on the market as well. Like as I was talking about with my flips, and just keeping an eye on in the market, speaking with the realtors boots on the ground, a lot of offer presentations are failing now, right? So people are just going with the strategy of listing it at what you're looking for. Someone brings in an offer and then you just negotiate from there on. If they're like, hey, look, we still got to do ABC, then it's about minimizing that bid ass spread. I don't know about other wholesalers. I imagine it's probably similar. If people are just moving things at the marketed price, that's pretty surprising, honestly. It's interesting though. Like, I'm like, okay, 21 Ballsack, Sudbury. It's a, I think it was a 27 unit apartment building listed for 1.8 million. It's kind of like, what the fuck? Like, it was six. I saw it on Saturday. You guys listed, I believe, on Friday, this last weekend. I was like, yeah, you know, like, no one's going to move that fast. It's still like 27 years. You got to, like, do your due diligence and, like, you know, analyze your numbers and stuff like that. Called the realtor on Tuesday. Maybe I took, like, a day too long. I should have called him on Monday. Called him, and he's like, yeah, we already have an offer accepted. It's, it's conditional, but we also have a backup offer coming in. I was like, get the fuck out of here. This is 27 years, $1.8 million in Sudbury. People are moving that fast. So that kind of, like, threw me off. But ultimately, it's a property that had, like, a decent amount of lift. But way under market tenants, as you could kind of imagine, right? Like everyone's like six, $700 a piece. But even my, like when I ran the numbers after I got the numbers, I was like, oh, like we're probably gonna have to put like 700 grand into this thing. And I just kind of like hold it, right? Like and kind of like do like the proper like multifamily, like not rush to bird, slow burr over like two, three years, like that kind of thing, right? That was my game plan, but someone probably got in there with trying to go CMHC and stuff like that. So I yeah, see what happens. Even, even then three, five years, it's, oh, we're gonna, like, I don't want to just, exposed too much. We have a podcast with Mark Baltazar that would come out in the next month or so when you're hearing this. We've had this conversation with him and like he was projecting what like 50% turnaround in five years is is what he underwrites now. Something along those lines, right? Yeah, I think very, it was like assuming even lower than that. Like he was, he was a very conservative. Yeah, it was a very conservative number. Yeah. And just yeah. from my experience of what, what I like having conversations with tenants and so on and so forth, putting out offers, it's all over media. It's all over the news. Everyone knows where rents are, like housing crisis. Before the last two years, if you know, you know, but it wasn't like everywhere. It was mostly around house prices. Now, forget the news on house prices. Every single media article is on rent. 
on affordability and inflation and groceries and right. fuel. And they're feeling it too, right? Like that's the big thing. It's not just media headlines. Every tenant that I've spoken to are feeling it. They're seeing their bills go up, right? And so, so many of them are less willing to negotiate cash or keys, even at offers like 20,000. I remember one tenant was like, we need 50,000, you know? They're, and I was just trying to get enough to buy their own place. Yeah. But that that. what is the, their, the reasoning is so valid though. I was just like, what's the logic? They're like, we're not st- like, we know what we're spending. We're seeing it. We're barely getting by. If we're doubling our rents, how long is this money going to last us? Right. And mm-hmm. that was, that was always thought process before, but now a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. So they're actually like, how much longer can we afford? Even if we get 50 grand, like probably not a whole ton. So like turnaround is so so challenging nowadays. So people are pivoting, more, like convert, like turning mixed use and then rezoning into residential, so on and so forth. But anyways, uh, I think we, we've sort of wrapped. But was there anything else that you wanted to add in? Mayu? The rise of it, man. Yeah. We need to talk about the rise of it. Fuck, we should have talked about this in the beginning. Now no one's listening to us ramble anymore. Unless we do a preamble to our preamble. <laughs> All right, yeah, anyways, uh, we have a rise event coming on, when was it? September? September 13th. Yeah, September 13th, 6 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Light refreshments are going to be provided as always. If you guys have been to our previous event, similar sort of thing, coffee, a little bit of snacks here and there. We are almost at 50% capacity right now, which is pretty good because it's only been 48 hours at the moment and we are releasing hundreds of tickets. So make sure to get yours because last time we sold out, I anticipate we're probably going to sell out this year again. It's going to be awesome. You're going to hear a small presentation from Mayu, myself. We're going to give you some updates on a more thorough update. So this is sort of like high level updates. We're going to get into more thorough updates on the macro point of view. We're going to get into updates on the mortgage side, on what strategies work, what strategies are are not working. Um, so it's going to be a good time. Hopefully we see you guys there. The link will be down in the description below. And also, I just noticed that we have 100 reviews now on our Spotify. I don't yeah. know, we probably have more than 100 <laughs> in um on uh we have 100 apple. reviews on spotify yeah, yeah we have more than 100 on apple but uh it's five star spotify so it's pretty bomb okay 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 all right, fine, fine that's dope <laughs> so, so let's get that shit up to 200 now i don't know how long that's gonna take but please support <laughs> me share with friend and uh yeah until next time everyone invest smarter and live better take care all